This morning, if you have a Bible with you, will you turn with me to Mark chapter 11? We're going to read from verses 15 to 19. But as you turn to that, I, I wonder, have you ever been the person who's ever pushed someone's buttons enough that it got a reaction out of them? It pushed them enough to get like a little bit of anger or frustration out of them. Now, I've never been that person. I've only ever observed other people doing it. I'm only joking. I've, I'm definitely still that person. But when I was, when I was preparing this this week, the, a story came back, a, a memory of mine came back of when I was in school. And I was in year 10. It would have been about second year, 13, 14, 14 years old. And I was in geography. And for some reason, it was one of those days where everyone in the class was a little bit hyper. And everyone was a little bit, you know, boisterous and having a little bit of fun. And the teacher just get, started getting that little bit more frustrated and that little bit more angry. And, and, and I could see, now, I wasn't participating. I was like, guys, honestly, like, let's, let's come on. We need, we're here to learn. We're not here to mess around. And, and I definitely wasn't the person pushing the buttons a little bit further. Um, but there's this moment where I just watched my teacher get extra angry. And like you could see it in her face, like bright red. And she was holding a pen. And I don't think I'll forget this till the day I die. But with all this rage, she threw this pen on the ground. And no word of a lie, this pen moved about from here to there. She put all her strength and it barely moved. And the class erupted. Then she walked out of class. And we had about 15 minutes by ourselves, which was absolute chaos. But we had pushed her so far that we got a reaction. A reaction that got a reaction out of us. And we see this in this story in Mark 11, verses 15 to 19, where, where Jesus enters the temple and something happens so much that it pushes his buttons, that it pushes him a bit far, that he reacts. And his reaction in turn then react, gets a reaction out of the people. Mark 11, verses 15 to 19. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables, the money changers, and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. Verse 17, he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they had began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Something in that moment got a reaction out of Jesus. Something in that time pushed him to react in anger to what was going on around him. But then it also caused a reaction of the people he was, he was talking to. That they in turn then, you see it in verse 18, that they were planning on how to kill him but they were afraid to do so because the people were so amazed at his teaching. I wonder this morning, if Jesus was to walk into this building, into this church, what tables would be overturned? I wonder what things in our hearts that are far from God, what things we are holding on to that isn't a part of God's picture of this church, would he come in and react to? Jesus entered the temple and he was appalled by what he saw. He was absolutely appalled by what was going on in front of him. The, the, the temple had completely lost the purpose and the calling of its existence. And we see this in verse 17. The scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. This temple went from a house of prayer to the nations to a den of thieves. A pretty extreme transition. The temple of Jerusalem had completely lost its calling and purpose. 
And what's really interesting about this passage is we also see it being recorded in Matthew chapter 21 and in John chapter 2 as well. But in Matthew 21 and Mark 11, the, the passage we just read, we see that this, this um, offense seems to happen towards the end of Jesus' time and Jesus' ministry on earth. But in John chapter 2, it seems to happen at the start of his ministry. So it, it seems that there's two different sort of offense where Jesus went in and he drove the merchants and the sellers out off the temple and he overturned the tables. Two moments, one at the start and one at the end of his time on earth. So I wonder what it is within this that the gospel writers are trying to grab our attention with. I wonder what it is that they're saying, actually, the reason we're writing about this is very important. There's something in this that I want you to get a hold of. I wonder what God inspired, what, why God inspired them to write this as they talk about this. However, the purpose of both these offense, even if they're at the start or at the end, was to cleanse the house of God. The purpose was Jesus went in to drive out the merchants and sellers within the temple grounds. And what happens in Mark 11, what's been happening in that chapter is that the the merchants and the sellers that Jesus overturned their tables with, uh, they, they were selling animals for sacrifice, the doves for sacrifice and different animals for sacrifice. But they had a deal going on with the priests that the priest said that actually what was being sold in the temple grounds, what they were selling was the only thing that was fit and, and suitable for sacrifice that they made a deal that they, the merchants and sellers and the priests, that they would make a profit together. A pair of doves would have cost as little as 4p outside the temple, but within the temple it would have cost about 75p. That's 20 times more, around 20 times more expensive. It's like going to the cinema and trying to get a box of popcorn. It's always more expensive when you're in the place rather than outside the place. But a pair of doves was 4p. I mean, a pair of doves for 4p sounds good as well. But at 4p outside the temple and 75p within it, they had completely lost the purpose and the calling of the temple. They made it into a marketplace where they cheated the faithful followers of God in that moment. 20 times more expensive. But what is also important for us to note at this early stage is that Jesus' anger was also pointed to those who bought from the merchants as well, the people who were given the money. It wasn't just for the people selling, but it was also for the other people that, that were buying it as well because everyone in this moment had lost the purpose and calling, the reason for the temple being there. The temple was defaced. And the sad thing is, most of the people attending it probably thought it was normal. They probably thought it was the right thing to do and they didn't even realize they were doing anything wrong. They had lost sight of God in all of this, partially due to manipulation from the merchants, the sellers and the priests, partially due to human error. But regardless, Jesus' anger in this passage was pointed to the fact that the Israelites had lost sight of God. They made the temple about profit, about pride and about themselves and they lost the true reason to why they were there. That brings us on to our first point is for us to understand the context and, and the reason behind this, I want us to look back at what was the purpose of the temple. Why was it there? Why was it built? And, and to do that, I think we need to go all the way back to Exodus and look at the tabernacle. We see when Israel are wandering around the desert for 40 years, God instructs them to build a tabernacle, a place for them to worship God, a temporary temple that had, that had no matter where they traveled, it was there for them to worship. The word tabernacle means to dwell, means to dwell. The tabernacle is the place where the presence of God dwelt. And we need to remember at this stage, God did not dwell in the hearts of believers because that wasn't available for them until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
The tabernacle was meticulously and intensely built. Every single detail, every single pillar, every single post, every single lamp, where the lamp goes, it sounds like trying to decorate my house at the minute with Megan. Everything has to go in a certain place and in a certain spot. I'm not allowed to move this and I'm not allowed to move that. It has to be very meticulous and intentional. And I, I would love to see how much more intentional God was with the tabernacle. But we see in Exodus 27, 9 to 19, that God gives them the instruction on how to build the tabernacle and what it looks like and what it's to do. All the elements within the tabernacle also carry a deep meaning that was to point them closer to God. The tabernacle was a place where the people of Israel could dwell with God and draw closer to God. It was temporary, but it was a proper place of worship and it served as a temporary house of God. Then we fast forward a bit and we come to the first Kings chapter six where Solomon, King Solomon, builds the temple and the temple was to be a more permanent fixture than the tabernacle a permanent dwelling place of God and a place of worship. So when Jesus went into the temple that day in Mark 11, he would have understood the purpose. He would have understood all the details and all the planning that went into the temple, that went into the tabernacle. And he wasn't just going to a physical building that day, but he was going to the place where God's presence dwelt, where God was dwelling and at the place of worship. When Jesus went that day to the temple, he didn't see people disrespecting a building but he saw them directly dishonoring God, directly dishonoring his father. The Israelites had lost the purpose of the temple. They forgot that it was a place they went to to experience and to encounter God and to be in his presence as he dwelt in the temple. And I wonder this morning as we gather, have we lost that purpose? Have we lost the purpose of of coming to this place to encounter and to experience God? Have we lost the sense of God's presence? Have we lost the sense of encountering and experiencing the Lord? So why is all this important for us today? Why is it relevant for us today? Well, the tabernacle and the temple, they mirror this first and second coming of Jesus. Where the tabernacle was temporary and it was the dwelling place of God, the temple became the permanent dwelling place of God and worship. It's the same for us in our, in our walks with God. The first coming of Jesus, we have this temporary dwelling. If we believe in God, that God dwells within us. After his death and resurrection, Jesus tore the field so that we could have free access into his presence. So for us today, we're like in the tabernacle, the, the temporary dwelling place of God, where then when Jesus comes back again and his second coming, then we will permanently be in his presence, singing his praises as we read in the scripture. As followers of Jesus, we have access into the presence of God, free access to encounter and experience God. But there will be a day when Christ returns and we are permanently in his presence. The temple's purpose was to be a place of worship, to be a place where God dwelt. We also see in Mark 11 that Jesus says the temple will be called, that the scriptures say the temple was to be called a house of prayer for the nations. Worship, prayer, God's presence, the purpose of God's house. And it's the same for us today. Our purpose here on earth in our local church should be first and foremost a place where people encounter and experience God, a place of prayer and intercession and a place of worship. And is that what we expect when we come to church this morning or any week? Is that even what we want? That when we come to God's house, that'll be a place where we encounter and experience the living God. That'll be a place where we pray and intercede on behalf of the nations. And that it's a place where we worship and spend time in the presence of God. 
Is that what we want? The problem wasn't in Mark 11, wasn't what the temple's purpose was. It was that the people had lost sight of God and they began to fulfill their own agenda instead of the will of God. That brings us on to our second point. How did they get to this point? We read throughout scripture, the Old Testament, God meets and he plans and he details everything within that. But how did the Jews in Jerusalem get to this point? And I think the main reason is that they forgot how to be in relationship with God. They forgot how to encounter and experience God. And that in turn meant they forgot how to trust God. We see Israel's story starts with Abraham. And God meets Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham's journey in the Bible starts with an encounter and an experience with God. A moment where God meets with him, interacts with him, talks with him. And that starts a a journey of a relationship between God and Abraham. We can read throughout Genesis. Abraham walked in relationship with the Lord. He was guided and led by the Lord. And we see this especially in Genesis 22. When Abraham had so much faith in God that he was willing to sacrifice his own son out of obedience to the call of God. Because he encountered and experienced and walked with God all of his days. And, and, and these Jews in Mark 11 that we, talk, that we read about, the ones that were selling, the ones that were cheating, they would have known this. They would have heard these stories. They would have said, they would have known everything about Iran. They would have known more about it than I would have. But they lost sight of the encounter and experience of God. They had the knowledge, but they didn't have the relationship. Another example within Israel's history is, is God met with Moses in the burning bush. It was an encounter and an experience at the burning bush in God's presence that led Moses to leading the Israelites out of Egypt. It was that counter and experience that led Moses to be in the vessel that God used to split the season two. It was that encounter and experience that led Moses being the one who struck the rock and the water was there. It was that experience and encounter that led to the manna from heaven falling. Again, they would have known this. They would have had the knowledge, but they didn't know how to live it. Israel's history is flooded with moments of encounters with God. They learn everything about the temple, worship, how to live, how to act, and so on from their experiences encounter with God. Through God using his chosen vessels during these times, the prophets, judges, kings, priests, these people would have known that, but they lost sight of the relationship and experience of God. We fast forward then to Mark 11, to the passage we were reading this morning. The God that Israel worshipped, the God that delivered them from evil, the God that defeated their enemies, the God that led them to the promised land, the place where he dwelt was being tarnished, abused, mistreated. And we know that Jesus sees the big picture. Jesus, the son of God, he sees eternity. He's connected every dot in this moment. And when he comes to the temple that day, I'm sure his heart is absolutely broken by what he saw shattered by the apathy and backsliding before him, the people that once called on his name, the people that cried out for a savior, for a Messiah to come and save them are abusing the temple of God, God's dwelling place, and they can't even see who it is in front of them. 
They can't even see that it's Jesus, the one that they're crying out for, right in front of their eyes. They slipped away from the love of God, the relationship with God, into dead religion, into pride, into self. And these people lost their way because they lost their guide. They lost their way in all of this because they lost the one who was guiding them. Is this true for us this morning as well? As believers, as non-believers, that we might have this knowledge, all this head understanding, all the information we need. If someone asks us a question, we can give the good Christian answer. If someone was to say to us, oh, or what does this mean? We could give the answer. But have we lost how to encounter and experience God? Have we lost how to be in relationship with him? Or do we even realize when we're surrounded by his presence or in his presence, just like these Jews in that day, they were in the house of God. They didn't know or sense the presence of God in that moment. They couldn't even see that it was the savior that their ancestors cried out for, the Messiah that they cried out for for all these years, standing right in front of them because they lost their relationship and their encounter. Our walk with God it started with an encounter and experience with God at salvation. Every single one of us would have encountered and experienced God the moment we were saved. A joyous, powerful moment. But for some reason, as time goes on, we begin to settle. We let things in our hearts set, ideas, views, and knowledge, and we no longer walk with God. Sometimes the more we think we know, we begin to become more like the Pharisees in the Gospels. We, we think we know it. We think we know what's best. We think we know how things should be done. We think we know X, Y, or Z. But we've lost sight of that encounter and experience we had with God at the beginning. It was the people who thought that they knew everything about the Torah, about Jewish religion, that Jesus challenged and confronted the most. It was the religious leaders that would have, they would have known every single prophecy around the Messiah. They would have known every single word spoken about the Messiah. And they were the ones that couldn't see Jesus when he was standing in their midst. If we aren't careful, we could slip into this way of life. These religious leaders became corrupted, content, complacent by greed and, and by the knowledge that they had that they lost sight of God. When we don't walk in relationship with God through experience and encounter, we lose sight of who God is. And I don't think we can truly understand some of the words that we read within the Bible because it's just knowledge. Sometimes we need to encounter and experience God to truly understand the words that are being spoken to us in his word. Romans 8, 7, 10 says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even, your body will, even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Walking with God, being led by God, being in relationship with God. The sad thing is, when, when I read this passage or the other accounts of it, and see how far these Jews in Jerusalem have, have come from God, I, I get the, the, the understanding, the feeling that actually they, they didn't, most of them didn't know that they had got to this point. 
Most of them wouldn't have been aware that their life had gone on this journey, that they've walked away from God and into this life of religion that they're living in. I don't think they would have realized. They were so out of touch with God that they wouldn't have been able to see how far they'd fallen. And that could be the case for us if we aren't careful, that we don't even realize that we have walked away from relational living with God and become religious because our sinful nature tells us that because we can rhyme off the right answers, because we have the knowledge, it's okay. Or our sinful nature says, because we do X, Y, or Z, then it'll be okay. Or our sinful nature tells us, come, the church is, is enough for your relationship and journey with God. It's a part of the journey and a part of your life, but it shouldn't be the answer. It's not enough. Or our sinful nature tells us, because you tithe this week, given your 10%, it's enough. It, it, it's a biblical principle that should be obeyed, but it's not enough. Our sinful nature is telling us this time and time again, because you understand, because you have the knowledge that you might think this is enough, but there's so much more. There's so much more to following Jesus. When we lose sight of God, our natural instinct kicks in. And we read in Jeremiah where it says that our heart is the most deceitful of all things. Why? Because our heart is sinful in nature. God dwells within the believer. So we can't let our heart become like the temple. It can't be that place where, where the, the merchants sell, sold and, 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 and manipulated so that they can make a profit. It can't become that place because God's presence dwells within the believer. We need to relearn relationship. We need to find that desire to encounter God and long to experience his presence. I really am praying, this, and I don't want this morning to be another morning ticking the boxes in church. I really am praying, and I don't want this morning to be empty words. I really am praying that we all go back to that place of encounter where we started our journeys or that we find encounter and experience and start our journeys afresh. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray these words of Paul this morning, that our hearts will be flooded with light because we have encountered and experienced the living God. It's not about laws. It's not about knowledge. It's not about ticking a box of rules. And that's what Jesus taught against. It's not by our works, but it's by our faith that we're saved. Faith, encounter, belief, experience, relationship with God. It's not about it being something we've always done. There's more. There's so much more to follow in Jjesus. However, as we read in Romans 8, that our sinful nature is hostile to God and it limits, it limits what we think or believe God can do because we don't know him well enough in relationship and personally know him enough to know who he truly is, to understand that actually I, I, I might think this in my sinful nature, but actually the Bible tells me and I have experienced and encountered that God can do so much more, that he can do the impossible, that he can, he can do what he says in his word. We need to relearn relationship. And it's like any relationship, we can have a knowledge and a perspective and an understanding of a person because of facts given to us. That these facts may be true, but it's not until we encounter that person, get to know them, experience their char character, that we can really trust and know who they are. And it's the same with God. It's the same with our Savior. 
if we don't take the time to get to know God, to encounter and experience the risen Lord, we will truly never find out who he is. We couldn't possibly understand or get the grips of who God is if we don't take time to encounter and experience his presence. I really believe that I heard very clearly on God. It's something that I've been, I've been praying about over the last few weeks and I've talked to some people about. And I really do believe that God has clearly spoken to us this morning, spoken to me as well as I studied this. And I really don't want this to be empty words. I really don't want this to be another Sunday where we hear another sermon and we think, lovely, let's go get a cup of tea or coffee. I don't really don't want this to be another Sunday where it's like, oh, we need to get out quickly because we've got to come back for church this evening. I want this to be something deeper this morning because I believe that if, if, we, if we follow the trend throughout scripture and follow the trend that actually encounter experience, then knowledge kicks in and we, we go down this slippery slope of this place where we think we know God, but we can't because we don't encounter or experience him. I believe that the word of God in Hebrews 4.12, it says it is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe that what the word of God says in 2 Timothy 3.16, that is useful for correction, rebuking, training, and teaching. And that's what I pray God's word will do in our hearts this morning, that it will correct, rebuke, train, and teach us, that it will be alive and active within us, but it's up to us. It's up to us whether we choose to allow these to be empty words or we allow it to be alive and active from the word of God.